the barbers <laughs> look man if there's ever a point usually you know barbers can get a little stale if you got the, the customer that's always coming in you know what i mean they can get a little stale you got to spice it up if they don't want to spice it you know if they're not going to give you the a plus cut because you know with the new customer they give you the a plus cut they're trying to win right. your business right right now yeah, you the yeah. regular customer you the returning customer sometimes you, sometimes you start to get you know me in the c plus cut you know what i mean maybe the b minus cut and i want a plus cut all the time and if you're starting to get that you know maybe you need to move around a little bit let them know you know, you can get, you can there, cut there are other barbers out here. I can go elsewhere. Like, it can happen. You don't well, have a monopoly. Point though, though, because like I've had like guilt over cheating over uh, my barber. Like I, it, I didn't feel like the first time I got my cut with my new barber that I have. Like when I first got that initial cut, it didn't feel right to me. Like I felt like I was doing something wrong. Am I the only one that feels that way? Oh no, that's, that's I mean that happens, but that's because you're conditioned, my brother. Okay. You're conditioned I'm just, I'm to want to stay. No, I'm just playing. But like, <laughs> no, but that's. <laughs> I'm just you have Dr. To Umar. Third eye, my right? <laughs> um, no. uh, uh, what would Dr. Umar do? Well, this is chopping it up, and clearly we have uh, intimate barber relationship issues um, <laughs> that we're trying to work through in this uh, coronavirus. At this point, well, the health issues on top of that, <laughs> staying alive issues on top of that. Um, Tell me about it, brother. A whole lot of you know issues going on. So, have y'all know? I've been saying brother a lot like that, and it started from just like making fun of Hulk Hogan. And you know how you do something. So long that it's like integrated. I'd be yeah. saying, brother, I, I say it too much and I don't By like it. Way, That's right. Brother. Side note. <laughs> um, Hell yeah. Brother. Mike Tyson, Rashad Evans, Vitor Belfort, Henry Cejudo all made an appearance last night on uh, All Elite Wrestling. Apparently, Chris Jericho and Mike Tyson are entering into a, uh, a feud. On, Wait, uh, what? All right. I missed that. Last I saw, Mike was making a comeback to the ring. I didn't know he was making a detour to wrestling. Okay, so did you know Bare Knuckle Fighting offered Mike Tyson $20 million? Yeah. In Bare Why Knuckle not? Fighting? Look, man, if the name Mike Tyson is involved in fighting, we showing up. And this Mike. is the thing. I'm saying this as someone who, whenever, whenever I saw the idea of like, hey, man, Mike Tyson's going to fight, I was like, that's a bad idea. Bad idea for two reasons, right? He either tries to fight someone who is like, too washed for this like he tries to fight someone his own old age his own age and then that he might kill that person or he tries to fight someone who's like currently fighting and that person tries to kill mike right like it's one of two <laughs> things because like this basically the way this goes i don't know if y'all remember back in the day because and i don't remember this i've just heard things about it the nba during the all-star weekend used to do what they call like the old timers game or whatever right. where they get like dudes from the league who used to play who are like retired yeah. long retired and they be in there playing and basically all that would happen is like torn torn this pulls that injury 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 because it's old dudes playing basketball at a level that they shouldn't be playing. <laughs> they should not be playing it at this point that's, yeah, that's what we're doing except with the sport where they actively the point is to hit you in the face right like the whole point of this is to hit you in the face we put an old dude in there to do that and i understand this old dude is mike tyson but still a little dude. shredded by the way if you haven't seen mike tyson these days old and mike shredded. Tyson is completely shredded at 53 years old. I feel like this all went out the window, though, when George Foreman won the heavyweight championship. It was at 46 years old, you know, busted up Michael Moore and won the heavyweight championship. I was like, well, if George Foreman can come back, you know, and just, you know, punch a young man in the face and win a championship, maybe Mike can come back. And, you know, sure, I'll be there to watch it. I'm just not going to feel good about it. <laughs> yeah. And Evander Holyfield is also training to come back to, uh, to fight. I think yeah, gonna and Evander good. Holyfield, man, uh, we had him on, I think, nosebleed seats uh, uh -huh. like last year. Mm -hmm. And it took a second for him to get revved up in the segment. You know what I mean? Like early on, and it was like, ooh, this champ does not it's sound. It sounded like them hits. Not sound like them hits there. took the. Yeah, it sounded like them hits took a toll. But luckily, thankfully, 
towards the back half of the segment, like it sounded like he just needed a little, you know what I mean? When you need to yeah. warm up the car a little bit, mm-hmm. sounded like yeah. that's all it needed. I mean, which is still sad, right? Like you can't you know, just keep going. But I was like, yeah. the car warmed up. We there. All right. I can't feel too bad. We, mm-hmm. we, the car still works. It just takes a little bit longer. Okay. That's what happens, you know. Well, take, you know. take that many punches to the face. It's gonna happen. That's what I mean. mm-hmm. and that's, <laughs> the one thing you happen. say about Mike Tyson, he ain't take that many punches himself. No, he was no. doing a lot of the punching. No. Well, that's as it. we are into this episode uh, again, my name is Kevin Gray, uh, resident <laughs> Dak hater, fighter offer person. Uh, oh, I thought you said you're a Dak hater. I was like, man, no, Dak Ooh. hater, fighter offer person. All right, Avenger for Dak Prescott. I think you would just say Dak defender. Dak defender. That that's less words for what I was mm-hmm. trying to say. Very mm-hmm. good. Uh, Reggie Dak defender doing too much. Right. Uh, okay. Reggie Atatula, Sterling Daniels. This is chopping it up. Uh, demo episode number two. So, um, you know, we talk a little bit about everything: sports, culture. You know, the fact that Megan McCain could put together coherent sentences and we feel like for the first time she actually made sense on Ridiculous. The View. Um, I, I think we would, I, I guess personally say this, that it would be an injustice if we did not um, at least speak on George Floyd and obviously the most visible, um, unfortunately, killing of another black man this week that we saw. Um Reggie and I were kind of talking about it before you got on Sterling. And to me, I had to kind of emote a little bit last night. I'm not going to lie on Instagram. And I was just like, look, as a black man, what I cannot do is get you to be unfearful of my skin color. Like I can't take this off. It's not something I would want to take off, but the very fact that my skin is a threatening is threatening to your existence as a police officer, as a white person, or whomever, that's frightening to me. And unfortunately, what we saw this week was another unarmed man, apparently was very close friends with uh, former NBA star Captain Stephen Jack. Jackson. Yeah, Stephen Jackson, who has kind of done his media you know, rounds about all of this um, and has been speaking about it. I just kind of want to get your guys' thoughts on it. I know it's kind of a, not necessarily a heavy way, to, kind of is a heavy way to start off, but I don't think it would be uh, proper for us if we didn't at least address it in what we've seen and heard this week with respect to that. Uh, I mean, I'll let you take it, Sterling. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's, it's ridiculous because we just kind of keep going through this cycle over and over again. And it's just one after another, and it's it's so interesting to me just not only for us personally like like just as the culture as a whole it's gotten to the point where it's almost like the school shootings where it feels like when you see it, it's like oh okay well there's another one you know what i mean and 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 it just automatically divulges into talking points like it, every, as soon as this happened it's like okay well it wasn't you know you, you didn't have people what you know what, what's his background what's this was all of a sudden it's well what did he do why was he being why was he being arrested why was it? and and it's just crazy to me that time after time after time we have these situations arise and the first thing people want to do is go and try to defend the people who took a life like yeah. we, 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 we've seen it and it, it just seems like every time one of these goes down and then it's like, oh, well, you know, he committed a crime four years ago. How do you know? You don't know what he's capable of because he, you know, 
shoplifted, you know, or because he got he caught caught smoking weed, you know, and and it's just automatically vilified, and it's it's just so frustrating, and it's, you know, and I've been, it's one of those things where you know, I when I moved here to to from New Jersey, moved to Keller, and Keller's a fairly white area, you know, I went to school and it was trying to find pepper in a salt shaker. Like it was one of those types <laughs> of deals. So like when I'm talking to, you know, and I've got friends of mine who, as we've gone through this journey, as it, things time after time, after time continues to happen, you know, it, it sucks that that's what it is, but you need to have those conversations because I've seen people's mindsets start to change and, and it takes, it, it's, it's sad that it takes so many, so much time, so much loss of life before some people finally get in and it starts to click. But I don't know, I, especially right around now when we're about to head into election season where so many people are like, oh, well, if you disagree with me, I'm going to block you or I'm going to unfriend you or whatever. No, nah, man, let, let them stay. Let, let them stay there so you can, because I mean, and I, and I can't speak for everybody, but for me personally, I would rather see where you're coming if you're from the other side like i might not be able to bring you over to the side of hey look this is why this man didn't deserve to die and it's indefensible but if i can at least see what's going through your mind i can get an idea of what what we're dealing with when you're talking about the enemy because at this point in time it's it's become warfare on us and you have to understand your enemy if you're going to be able to defeat it so it's tough thing about something you said there is like, you know I mean, hey, man, don't go blocking people. Let them stay here. But this is the problem, right? Like this, these social media spaces have become like kind of extensions, places where we go naturally because we live in a time where that, you know, that's part of that's an extension of your social network, your so your literal social network. And it's quick and easy to get to. Yeah. And tough part is like I, you don't necessarily like, it's a mental health issue in some ways, right? Like everybody doesn't need access to you. Right. Mm -hmm. Like just because you're entitled to an account doesn't mean you're entitled to access to me and mm -hmm. my in my, you know, mental space. So like there is something to be said for like, nah, I don't want to have to deal with your contrarian or your, you know, perspective or, you know, your perspective, particularly because when you said that when you're talking about, you know, your friends and I don't want to be I don't want to like put you in any sort of place here. But like oh, yeah. your ostensible friends, right, like talking about how, you know, it takes so long to see it bro what's taking so long right? right like we've you've had plenty of opportunities um on the show today is the KNC masterpiece um there's a point where kevin was talking about how uh you know sometimes it just takes you know i could see how you know maybe someone saw this and it like opened their eyes and i'm like in my mind yo what took you so long because this and is that, not yeah there have been many many a george floyd for mm -hmm. many different uh you know different situations and the tough thing about it is when we start when those uh you know the discussions rage up they end up as you said right they end up being boilerplate right they end up being mm -hmm. not even about the situation because you know we got people talking about well you know he should be respectful actually if you go and watch the, the, the entirety of the video right like there's video from damn near the beginning of the arrest in which he has been compliant and the, respectful entire, the entire way yeah um and even if he wasn't right like even if he wasn't even if you know there's a, a prior um history of um breaking the law even if he actively was breaking the law the thing i always fall back on is that this is an extra extrajudicial killing right uh -huh. in america in the united states of america we are entitled to a trial but in, in front of a jury of our peers, that person was killed before giving, getting the opportunity to do that. 
right? Even if they went and killed somebody, right? And these they people are entitled to they're entitled to a trial in front of a jury of their peers. The yeah. police are not situated as executioners in our legal system. So regardless, it's amazing to me that people don't look at this and go, wow, no, this is state sanctioned killing extrajudicially, right? Like you are going outside. Your job is to bring them in, lock them up. I mean, and I'm not, I mean, th this gets to really crass talk, so I probably shouldn't talk that way, but like your job is to you know, arraign them so we can take them into the court of law and charge them in a legal proceeding. Except that doesn't happen. That's right. And then the tough part is about it is like, we're usually not talking about somebody who went to kill somebody or something. We're talking about somebody selling Lucy's or somebody who looks suspicious or somebody who stole some, uh, who maybe allegedly stole some Skittles or, you know, Arizona tea. And this is someone who was suspected of forgery. Right, so pageant, like, like that should never carry a death sentence in my picture, in my in my mind, and that's where that's where it gets really tough. So like, especially, I can understand where people would want not want to then, in situations like that, especially if you view it like I view, it, where it's like, yo, this is just the state, like our state, you know, what I mean, right. acting in violence against us and not protecting us in the way that is documented that we're supposed to in the Constitution. I can then see that seeing somebody going, well, no, you got to see my side of the story. No, the hell I don't. And it does not, it, like, it's not good for my mental health to sit in this environment where you are actively trying to convince me of something that I know, like, is patently ridiculous. Yeah. And now, I, oh, go ahead. No, you, 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 you. Well, I was just saying, now that we've, we've seen, and to your point, Reggie, I think my thought goes to what's going to be the one you know, it wasn't, you know, Tamir Rice. It wasn't Eric Garner. It wasn't, you know, uh, any number of individuals who have lost their lives at the hands of police. Like, what's going to be the one that finally for individuals who don't see all oh, that racism still exists, that police brutality still doesn't exist, what's going to be the one that's going to be like, oh, you, you know what, there's a problem here. Like, there's been too many of these situations for however long for you to not understand at this point this is a problem. It's been a systemic problem for a long time. And too many individuals have lost their lives for no reason because others have failed to see the picture of what's been going on for hundreds of years to the point where it has evolved to now state sanctioned killings by police officers who have no regard for the lives that they are sworn to protect based on the oath that they took. And that's the part that just continues to trouble me about all of these situations is that individuals what is it going to take for does it need what's what's going to take for you to actually you know understand what's really going because if this isn't it i don't know whatever whenever it will change i don't think it's going to i don't think you're going to have one of those things like if for anybody and even the people that i you know was referencing earlier it wasn't like a oh this was a one time oh when this killing happened now i see now i see the light this is all you know yeah. what i mean that's that's not what you're going to get i mean even with and even when i you know think about the conversations that i've had with people that you know school with it's something where it's not even necessarily centered all the all the time around uh an unjustified killing or, or something like that it's just having the conversation and until people first of all because the thing about it is people don't like having their foundations challenged like more than anything i think that's what what you deal with when you come across these because these people are like okay well i learned that 
the police are here to serve and protect. And if you do this and do that, then you should have no problems. I don't know why you're doing this. And the, for so many people, they don't want, they're not even willing to open up their minds. Cause then people get introduced and involved. <laughs> yeah, and, one, and once you, once you start, okay, well now you're, now what you're saying to me is, is challenging and questioning everything that I know. And I've, brought up as a foundation it's like look i'm sorry that we have to shatter your reality but that's just not the case but if you're looking for one specific moment for that to happen i i just don't know what can happen because you've had i mean it like i know there's been a lot but if the story of tamir rice isn't going to get to you and you're like wow this young kid got killed because he had a toy gun like if there are people who are still not understanding that after that all the rest of these like you can you can be whatever they literally just executed a child and nobody no and i'm not nobody but for a lot of those people they just didn't care i don't know how it's going to change it's something that's going to have to happen within the actual system itself because as far as a national perception for those people who feel that way it's not going anywhere because what else can be done yeah. 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 Kevin, I was going to say, like, and Sterling, you kind of got to some of it is like the idea that there's going to be an individual moment, or basically, actually, take that back. The idea that someone's going to realize that this is a problem, that's kind of the jig. Like, I think we are coming from somewhat of an optimistic place to make it seem that they don't already know that this is something that exists, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we see some of that in the, what was it, Amy Cooper in yep. Central Park. Uh -huh. In the situation in which a gentleman was birding and she was in the Central Park with her dog off the leash. And there is clearly a rule that says that there has to be a dog on the leash. Mm -hmm. The gentleman asked her to put a leash on her dog. You know, I wouldn't have done that. I oh, personally wouldn't mind my own business. But, you know, yeah. that's neither yeah. here nor there. Right? Like, it, is your, it is your American right to be as annoying to other people as you want to be, uh -huh. as we have seen time and time again. Especially and basically all he, did, all he did was that, ask, that, you know, that, ask for that. her to put her, her, leash, her dog on her leash. And she, you know, she basically goes off, she, you know, she goes on tilt, like she goes off the handle and then she, she threatens him basically with this. I'm going to call the police and tell them there's an African-American male threatening me. And that part, the weaponizing of whiteness that is no, rampant. Like no, 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 no. Hold on. She's not weaponizing whiteness. She's weaponizing police brutality in that well, instance. I mean, right? like all, all of that wrapped up in. Cause this is the thing, right? It didn't have to be a white person that called the police and told them that there was it was going to be a black male over here acting acting up, right? Like in theory, it could be anybody. And so the the idea is that she knows that if she says those words, right, like there is a good likelihood that it activates something and it put, possibly puts something in place that could end up harming or, God forbid, fatally, you know, ending that dude's life. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing: is like the only way that you you don't do that accidentally, right there. Right. Like the way that that came together, the specific way that that happened. Yeah. There's a lot of people who call the police and maybe they aren't in full awareness of what that is. But partially it's because they believe that the police are there to protect them from other people, specifically people that look like us, black male um, people. So, like, they understand this. Like, and I, I hate to use definitive all encompassing terms because there's absolutely going to be people out there that are maybe young and have not experienced enough or sheltered and that it does take some um, exposure to some of this stuff for them to get this in a different way. But there's a lot of people that have been around for a long time that have seen enough of this and you see them arguing the same points. Some of this is that they are entrenched in this and they, they are, they see it as good in some ways they're okay with the way that this happens for whatever reason. I'll let you make those determinations so that y'all not coming for me but there is, for some reason, 
a comfort in the way that this operates. And it takes some level of self-introspection or some, some level of uh, analysis and uh, evaluation to see why that is the fact, why that is the case. Why, do they, why are they okay with this being that way? Yeah. It doesn't affect them. Like if we're just being straight up, I mean, I'll, but it does, it affects them. It just, it doesn't affect them in the way of like, they're not getting, they're not being, it doesn't immediately affect them. Is what I'm saying. You know, well, I mean? it affects them, right? Well, like it affects well, it them is, in, in kind of a positive if, well, I mean, in some certain ways, like you can view, they can view it as a positive and that's part of it, right? Like if you, if the police have acted in which, in a place in which like view it from this way, a lot of people that live in, let's say a cushy neighborhood, in a well-to-do neighborhood or maybe not even well-to-do like middle-class neighborhood mm-hmm. you're not going to see the police presence you're not going to see your you know people that you love going to jail but then you have situations like a Trayvon Martin where it looks like hey man this is black kid in this neighborhood and I don't think he belongs mm-hmm. part of that is like yo the police are here to keep this space pure in whatever de- definition you want to use it Boy. because that dude's not supposed to be here so like this system benefits them because the 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 inherent um bias against black people that the police and these systems i want to say these systems have then helps them keep this in a way that is advantageous to them so yeah it does benefit them in a positive manner in time oh yeah it affects them in a positive way i'm saying like there's no negative effect for them so why do they have to fight it like this is the tough thing like there is some negatives as well right like white people do suffer at the hands of, of of like the 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 overreaching hand of our state uh police like they, but it's just not. It's not, not in the dying. same manner, and I guess that's a trade-off that's willing to be made. Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure because if you look at it, I mean, think about it when you look at the unjust happenings whenever something happens to a white person with the cops. The cop usually immediately gets fired. Next thing you know, the cop gets charged for whatever it is, and then you know, move on to the next. Like after that, it's no. It's like, oh well, well, why is this a big deal to you as a black person? Obviously, if you just do this, follow these steps, the system will work for you. But if you've gone through this, the fact where a system isn't going to work for you, like if you if you have if, if you have to have faith in our judicial system for it to work. And that's why I think if you look at it from other people's perspective, they have that faith because they've seen it work. It's like, well, I called the cops, they showed up, they handled their business and everything was fine. That's not all of our experiences. What one of my buddies, he he didn't he thought that like in this like this isn't anytime recently. This was I guess it was probably like 2012, somewhere around there, 2013. He thought me and my other friend, we were just making all of this up. Like, oh well, of course, you know, cops aren't out here profiling black people what are you talking about you know we're rolling around here in keller we get pulled over me and my other buddy who's black we're sitting in the front seat cop comes what are you doing here what's going on well my white buddy in the back he says he sticks his head out as soon as he sees his face everything changes and then that it's just one of those situations where when you have that when you have that experience and you're, you're able to see night and day like bro this is what we're talking about right here and it's like oh well now it's affecting my friends and then all of a sudden it, you know and so it needs that kind of a effect has to happen and if they i mean i hate to put it like this but if they don't have any black people in their lives they're never going to even have that kind of effect because their 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 uh their relationship and their uh, experiences with law enforcement are usually positive. And if they don't have those, and it's just like, oh, well, yeah, this cop is on me, but he's on me for a speeding ticket. I know my rights. They don't understand the systemic racism part that goes into law. And now we've seen not just the reaction of those who are outside, who have seen this and understand what's going on. Those who are in the sports world have also reacted. Plenty of reaction from 
LeBron James reposting a shirt, a picture of him wearing an I can't breathe t-shirt, much like when Eric Garner passed away, um, or excuse me, when he was killed. Um, whom else? JJ, the one that got me, because you know, JJ Watt really doesn't. JJ Watt said something? JJ Watt said something. Now, That's if bad. you know JJ Watt, or if come to, you know, obviously we, you know, cover and talk about him, JJ Watt doesn't really get into any of this, you know, stuff he's pretty apolitical he's pretty you know clean cut because he you know he absolutely plays the role and plays the role feels like very cynical but he he he's he's situated as the nfl's golden boy of he, captain america, america. yeah captain he, america. Is, he is That's captain right, america way of terming it yeah <laughs> like jj watt is nfl's captain america um but he he even said something um Carson Wentz, uh, I think Nick Foles said something. There's been many, anyway, many athletes who have said something about this. And it's kind of reignited the conversation about athletes and activism with respect to issues of police brutality, social inequality, racial injustice, whatever the issue may be, and how that looks, especially now that there really isn't anything else to do since there's no other sports going on. How do you see this continuing to play out with these athletes continuing to speak out and how they can continue to try and have an effect on the ways that individuals who may not necessarily understand what's going on be able to look to a LeBron James or whomever the case may be says, well, you know what, maybe I'll listen to what LeBron James has to say about this because he's my favorite basketball player or he's my favorite athlete or whomever the case may be. How does this continue to move forward in that space given what we continue to see nowadays? I'll let you go first, Rich. Man, this is tough because, I mean, there's absolutely people that view those athletes as simply their entertainers, right? Like, yeah. there's not a certain level of respect for them. Um, and, I mean, like, I'm not even going to qualify that. You get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Like, there's you are good at what you do, and thus you are that, but I do not You're here to entertain as, me. <laughs> yeah, I don't view you as – maybe that's a little far. He's full human. Um, to me, because you are basketball player, football player, dancer, rapper, singer, what have you, um, you are here to entertain me, but I do not view you as whole. I don't view you as citizen to the point at which you have uh, a perspective on the, the, the place in which you are a citizen of. Because you're supposed um, to get away from what's going on for these, the, yeah, these three as, hours. As if, as if people can get away from these things, right? right. Um, but then there's also a perspective where I do, we've, we've gotten to a point in our society where we kind of, we're like, Hey man, everybody, you know, all hands on deck. And I understand to, that to some extent, but then we go and we put a microphone in some folks' face and we're like, Hey man, you got to say something about this. Not everybody's equipped to talk about this. Not everybody is right to talk about these things. And I'm not saying I'm the arbiter by any means, but like not everybody, I mean, some people by their own uh, realization, they're like, no, I, I'm not the person to be talking about this. And you know, people are equipped to talk about this at different levels. Right. One thing that I hope happens is that one, I mean, with anybody that talks out about this, I hope that they educate themselves as much as they possibly can. And then with the folks with platforms like, you know, the folks that we're talking about, I hope that through their education, they also realize, okay, the thinkers, the, the people that have perspe good perspective on this, that they then elevate those folks, um, then that those people are put in front of places that they wouldn't normally reach. Because that's one of the things that I think is amazing with sports is sports is, you know, it, it really carries most cross sections of life. It's the reason why sports still makes money on TV, right? It's the reason why TV gravitates, gravitates to sports because nothing is appointment television anymore. Like our, our, our landscape is so fractured. The only thing that will catch so many different uh, demographics 
opinion or you know attention is sports yeah so like you bring people to this table and there's people as sterling you know alluded to there's people who their lives are very homogenous right like they don't touch all these different places so being a sports figure you're a you know you're you're a window into something else that they have not seen or that they would not regularly come up against so while they might not respect you and not to say that if they don't respect you they might they probably not respecting like the person you're bringing forward but there are like we can't do this as a whole sum right there's some people that are just obviously going to um go ahead and not pay attention from the jump but there will be some people that are, are somewhat interested and maybe they won't take it from you, but maybe they'll take it from somebody who is positioned as an expert on these things or as a, a thought leader on these things. And, and then also someone who's able to more salient, saliently put together a point, someone who's better synthesized the idea to a place where it's consumable or maybe not even consumable, but it's like the, at, at its peak richness, right? So that's one thing I hope happens is because like, I know at times we get to places where we're like, Hey, LeBron, we want to hear what you say on this as if LeBron is the thought leader. LeBron is a dude who sees something messed up and he's kind of going to call it out. But LeBron's a basketball player. Not that he is just a basketball player. I don't want to be that he's, you know, he's a producer. He does all these things, but that may not necessarily be his strength. And it's kind of unfair for us to ask him to, you know, do all, be all things to all people in that way. Right. Like you're already all this, you're dope at basketball. You're doing all this other things. Now we want you to be out here via philosopher go do it right like press play <laughs> um so yeah no I, I but i would love to see that platform then also shared with people of good mind. like i think uh and i mean colin kaepernick has done a decent job of this of course like there are people who are not going to hear it and then also colin kaepernick has turned off um certain people um i guess red white people in some ways from you know his message in that um he has directly called them out and as Sterling mentioned earlier, like people don't like when their stuff is shattered, is right. shaken, right? Like when you're directly implicated, like your natural human reaction is to get defensive. Um, so like there's something in that direct implication, but he's done a decent job of like putting people, putting together, putting forward words of people and thoughts and ideas of people who are, you know, thought leaders in these types of things. So that's one thing that I'd like to see play out. Maybe not in such a controversial manner, but I guess also it has to be controversial, right? Like yeah. there's not a yeah. way that you can sugarcoat this, right? Like I don't think you there's actually get anywhere. Any of this, right? Right. I don't think you get anywhere by making everybody's feelings comfortable, but yeah, to go back to the question that I think I've answered three times in the same, uh, tirade rant, whatever, what have <laughs> you. Um, yeah, I just wish that though, I hope that they are educated because I know that, uh, Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz, a statement that he put out, he was basically like, uh, this is wrong. I'm never, you know, I'm never, I'm a white guy raised in South Dakota, you know, lived in a bubble, essentially, you know, very homogenous and I'm not going to understand the experience of black people, but you know, this is wrong. This does not fit with my Christian beliefs, thus, you know, so on and so forth. Essentially I'm paraphrasing. That's not exactly what he said clearly. But the one thing, and the one thing I saw about that was like, yo, that's cool that you're coming from that place. I'm happy that you're there. But also you don't want people to then become comfortable, right? Like that's not a place where you can stay, right? Like it's cool that you're there, right. but then when you're like, I'm never going to understand the, the plight of white, of black people. Yeah, but I don't ways need for you to massage this. I think the perspective <laughs> that, that he comes from is that it's an apologistic standpoint from the fact of, you know, I'll never understand. Well, no, and, 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 and he's right. You're never going to fully understand, but you can try, right? Like, and that's, that's the thing. I, that's the next step. And I'm not trying to knock him down because his statement makes sense and it's good for a lot of people to see, but then I need you to take the next step. Exactly. And that's also another problem with this is that we have people that are willing to say, yo, no, that's messed up, right? Like um, during the show today, people on the fan text, like as 
a white conservative male, like that was that was murder, although murder as a technical term is like, you know, is, is something else. Right. It's not something else, but like it it carries a certain burden of being under the law at, at the very, very, very base bottom. We could say it was a killing like that was an active killing. Yeah. Um, and like you can acknowledge that. But now I need you to take the next step. So like with Carson Wentz, cool. You you uh, I'll, you'll never understand what black people will try. Right. Like there are people who have laid this out in books, in discussions. And there, there are people who have chronicled the accounts of what black people Shoot, go through. Sit with now I need you to Chris go and take those steps. <laughs> sit with your buddy Chris Long, who, you know, has a, a very clear understanding and actionable, you know, things that he's done. Uh, Chris Long kind of, you know, gets into all that. I feel uh, like I took us to a whole different place. No, go ahead, Sterling. No, you could. Go ahead, man. Well, Sterling, uh, you, can you talk anymore? I feel like I talked long enough that you might have forgotten how to. You still uh, no, 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 no. I'm still, I'm still <laughs> here. Uh, words, words are working in my mind. But, I mean, and, and I think you basically hit on everything, but I just kind of want to back up to one thing. I just find it so interesting how, you know, you're talking about, you know, when – when athletes speak up about racial stuff, it's so controversial and it's, you know, you get the whole shut up and dribble crowd that comes out of the woodworks, but everything else, like if it's, if it's not race related, we want to hear like, okay, well there's, you know, <laughs> there's this tragedy went on here. What do you think about this? Oh, we need, you know, relief here, hurricane, something like that. Well, what are you doing here? Like JJ Watt got so much love and I'm not knocking him for being charitable. Like this is what we're supposed to do as good humans, but you know, it was nobody was like, stay in your lane, JJ Watt. How dare you? Don't you donate that forty-two million dollars? How dare you bring this up? Like <laughs> and like, you know, and and nobody ever has that problem when it's something about that. But as soon as you bring race into it, it's like, whoa, man, well, what are you doing? Why are you talking? And it's it's just I've always found that aspect of the whole shut up and dribble crowd to be so just so hypocritical, and I just I just find it so funny. It's like you guys go out of your way to to praise people when they step into lanes that aren't sports. And we try to encourage people to be, okay, we'll branch out, you know, yeah, you're an athlete, but what are you doing for the community? But as soon as they try to speak on the community, it's like, okay, well, shut up. We didn't want, we didn't want you to go that far with it. You're going too far. You're going too far. (laughs) Give some money to the black kids. Don't tell us what they really need. Like, you know, and that's what, and it's just so frustrating to see because, you know, you ask about, well, what, what do these guys on these pedestals have to do? They're just in such a, and I, and I think most of them for the most part use their platform to speak out and I'm glad they do. And I hope they never get discouraged from it, but it's just so funny to me that the same people who will praise and call for these athletes to step out and try to do this stuff for, you know, in the community are the same ones who are going to criticize them when they speak on things that are going on that are affecting the community. And like, it's, it's one and the same. That's what you need. And I mean, you even talked about, uh, you know, what if one of these popular athletes goes out and talks? I mean, LeBron, I mean, I know LeBron's a very polarizing figure already, but LeBron is one of the most popular athletes. Like you, can, you can't get much more popular than, than LeBron James. And then when LeBron James opens his mouth, you have a lot of people like, oh, well, I'm not a LeBron James fan anymore. Even with the Carson Wentz thing, people were like, oh, you know, I, I was, you know, I saw his, it was a nice post and, you know, you know, probably need to stay off of social media just because it's a cesspool anyway. But you have people already there in his comments like, wow, Carson, how could you uh, push this false narrative of racism? Blah, 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 blah. And like, it, and it doesn't matter. Like, that's the thing. It doesn't matter who the, and, it, it, you got, you, and this isn't to discourage anybody from still speaking out. Like, the more voices you have, the better you're going to be. The more people who are on this side that are going to be vocal about it, the better it's going to be. But when you look at the people across the board who do speak out, it's 
it's good to have them try to reach another uh, group of people that might not necessarily listen to another messenger, but some of those people are just going to be just as hard headed. I mean, Colin Kaepernick, people forget how popular Colin Kaepernick was like Kaepernicking was a thing. <laughs> you know, was. We, we talk about it was. like, Oh, now you, now people talk about him. Oh, he was a bum. He was blah, blah, blah. He, Man, he took it. He took the the Niners to a Super Bowl. Most people, a lot of people, I'm sure, in the nation were rooting for him to get the win and for the 49ers because he was a fun story. People thought it was cool. He's playing with, you know, oh, he's kissing his tattoo and he's a, he's a quarterback with tattoos. We love this. He's so edgy. And then as soon as it changed, that's and then as soon as he became okay, I'm gonna be an activist now. It changed. And and it's just stay in your places. If you're talking about what we want to hear you talk about, go ahead. That's great. But once you cross that line into something that makes us uncomfortable, people yeah. are going to shut it down. You brought so, up an interesting scenario. What if Colin Kaepernick wins that Super Bowl? Mm. What if the 49ers <laughs> actually beat Baltimore, win that Super Bowl? How much different – is life for him? Does he even go? Does he even have to go down this particular road? Would he have still have gone down this road and still yes. have done the same things? Got an answer for you. Yes. Right. Like this. This is not necessary. This is not. Well, I'm just. I mean, I'm, just I'm just. I'm just curious how that would have gone for him. If this is. This if, is something about because this is. We know that a lot of these arguments are bad faith. You can look at it and Colin Kaepernick was not a bad quarterback. No. Like the last time that he played in the NFL. Nope. He may not have been the best quarterback in the league, but he was not a bad quarterback last time he played in his NFL. Yet there are people, there are people that will you know, go out of their way to tell you that he was a terrible quarterback. And that just tells you like, that they are willing to move the goalposts wherever, it mean, wherever they need to. Would it be a little harder to move the goalposts? Sure. Right? Like now we got it into the rings conversation, and those people that view rings as the ultimate stat there, they'll go, well, he has a ring, and they'll go, well, but. Right? Like there will be some level of moving the goalposts. So no, like. Once, once you offend the sensibilities in that way, people will find a way to, to get to the point that they uh, want to get to. It's actually a fallacy in a lot of our sports. And of course, this is, gonna, this is actually going to nicely move us away, a little bit away from, you know, the, the quote unquote controversial topic that we're having here. But like just in general in sports, one thing that you'll find is a lot of places where people get into bad arguments is because they decided where they want the outcome to be first. And then they engineered their thinking to get there instead of, logically finding you know sorting through the thoughts and then finally finding themselves at the end point and so that happens in sports right like if we want to say somebody's good we'll find a way to say that they're good with if it's just because we like them or we want them to be good you know we'll find a way to do that and if somebody's bad we'll find a way to make them bad you know with whatever statistics that we need to we'll find a way to get there but a lot of people the reason why they get to bad why they end up looking stupid frankly is that they decide what the end point is yep. and then they, they engineer their way there. And that'll happen in that same place because I think a, a lot of people did not like the idea that Colin Kaepernick was challenging them, their nation, the general get down of this nation, and then they ultimately decided Colin Kaepernick is bad. Why is he bad? Mm-hmm. So I think that would have still been the, the ultimate calculus that happened on the situation. I think he still would have spoke up. I'm sorry not to cut you off, but I think he still would have ended up coming around and speaking out on it because like the summer leading into the whole protest, I know that people were like, well, he's doing this because it wasn't just because of a contract. There was a lot that was going on in the nation where this was becoming press. I mean, not that it's never been in the forefront before, but it was really in the national media. It's like, okay, well, who's going to take the next step forward? Colin Kaepernick just happened to be that guy. And, and, and so, you know, it, I, 
depending on if he would have won the Super Bowl, I don't necessarily think it would have changed anything. It would have made it a lot uh, – it may have made it a lot harder for some people to try to say he was a bad quarterback. But like Reggie said, those people who think he was a bad quarterback, they're going to say that regardless of if he would have won that Super Bowl or not. So, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating. But we're, you know, we're here. This is America. I feel like we've gotten to a point where we're probably going to move away for, from this. So the one thing I want to say before we do anything, before we do so, yeah. um, I know that I had a little, I don't know if it's criticism necessarily for, uh, for Carson Wentz, but it is nice to see white people feeling like, no, no, this is my obligation as well to speak on this. Because oftentimes, and this is a problem that we all uh, succumb to, is that we go, okay, something bad happened in said community. Hey, person who is a member of community speak up now, right? Like, especially like, hey man, black folks, we got black folks issues now. What you got to say about it? (laughs) Come to the podium, please. And it's like, hey man, you know, this is not, this is not just a black person issue. If we're going to be completely frank, like this is an issue with the entirety of of the United States. This is a United States issue. So everybody who's an American can step up and speak on this. Um, will they be right? Maybe not. But you know, if, if we are so inclined to just be like, Hey, we need to ask people about this. You can ask everybody about that, right? And I've, once more, I've already said, I don't think everybody is equipped to speak on it. I don't think everybody needs to speak on it. But there, we, oftentimes we, you know, we have people in the media industry who go, okay, well, something happened. Let's go talk to somebody from that community. And oftentimes it's somebody who has already displayed interest in that. So like, I'm not trying to be mean to them neither. Right. But there are instances where, hey man, we want to put cam- microphones in front of folks. We can put them in front of everybody. And I think it's nice that now there are some white folks because generally white folks have like, it's late in the cup because it's like, hey, man, I don't need to say something. Or maybe they just feel like they're not as educated, which, you know, there's ways to fix that. But, you know, it's nice to see that people are taking it upon themselves. J.J. Watt, um, Carson Wentz, of course, like you always have your Steve Kerr's and stuff. We're like, no, I, I feel like it is my duty as well to speak on this. And I appreciate that. And you will never, ever hear me say this again. Go Uh-oh. watch the video of Megan McCain speaking on George Floyd's death. I will never ever <laughs> utter those words ever in my life ever again. So I've never Megan, known. If Megan McCain you, gets man. out here and starts speaking in reasonable terms about things like this, you know there's a problem. Uh, Reggie mentioned something a little bit earlier about um, you know moving goalposts and you know building statistics and arguments to fit one way or another. We have officially entered silly season with one Rain Dakota Prescott. Oh yeah, so, Dakota. Is it the Dakota defense time is it, it's time. You look, put on your cape, man. Kevin, listen, you ready? I had so many people. So I just post. See, this is what I do with social media, and I've learned this. I just post simple questions about really simple things about this particular quarterback. So I posed a couple of questions. You know, one: What is the problem? Tony Romo, of course, who was former Dallas Cowboy quarterback. When he got his $108 million, $55 million guaranteed, mind you, that was more than Joe Flacco than what he got when he won the Super Bowl that year. Uh, he was coming off an 8-8 eight and eight season, his second straight 8-8 eight and eight season. Um, went, had thrown 19 interceptions, then backed it up with a third 8-8 eight and eight season, and yet, you know, Jerry and Stephen Jones got out here and gave him the $108 million. So I simply posed a question on Twitter. I said, if Tony Romo can get all this money, what is the issue – of paying Rain Dakota Prescott. And let me tell you, my Twitter mentions have been in shambles for the last three days. I don't know if you've seen my Twitter <laughs> timeline. Oh, no. Timeline Absolutely not. Has been in complete shambles for the last three days because. Sounds about right. 
I've had arguments spin off to the point where I don't even know what some of these people are talking about. They're talking about Carson Wentz and, you know, all kinds of other stuff. But the thing that continues to just blow my mind, and now we have reports today about uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs are starting their negotiations for his contract. He's an outlier. He's just There's a blank check written for him. Yeah. But when you think about now where we are, we're about a couple months away from training camp, and the ways that people – move the goalposts with respect to this quarterback. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like this, not just a polarization of Prescott as a player, but what he is in relation to what he is going to be for quote unquote America's team going forward for the, what we perceive the next four to five years once the contract is done. Have you two ever seen anything like this with respect to a player of this caliber in this particular position when we talk about Prescott in these terms? Uh, I don't know if I have. I'm not great I, at historical comparison. Yeah, that's a, that's that's what I was trying to go back and think through. Because like, I I don't think I've seen it. Now the one person that I kind of comes to mind, and this is just recently, um, like a cart or not a car, so I almost said uh, like a Kirk Cousins. I felt like Kirk Cousins Kirk. kind of went through this when he was getting yeah. The, with getting like the franchise tag run around because yeah. it was like he he kept putting up numbers and it'd be like okay well these are garbage time or this is what you know and it would you know one thing after another now the biggest difference between the two uh Kirk Cousins wasn't winning he wasn't winning the way that Dak Prescott was so I you know I, I don't I've always felt Kirk Cousins was a fraudulent quarterback to begin with that's just, oh really okay yeah Kirk Cousins is, is, a, is a tough case for sure but yeah. the tough thing about it is y'all not gonna get me with the winning thing I think y'all know that I I'm <laughs> no, not, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah, yeah, yeah. no I, I got you I so got you that's yeah, a tough no. part because like, like I mean, be wins guy no I'm definitely <laughs> Definitely not. So y'all not gonna get me there, and I think that in that way it becomes a little bit closer of a comparison. So yeah, no, I hear you with the Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I think that's the only one, and I, there might be more in the past that I can't think of. But as far as when I think of recently, I think he's the biggest example, just because of the unwillingness to pay him after he's clearly done enough to get the money that he deserves. So that's my one comparison, but it's when, as far as looking at between when Romo got paid and when Dak got paid that, that right there, I don't necessarily understand because it was, it, it's so weird. And I'm, I know you still had your Romo haters, obviously, but it might be just because as, as a franchise, the Cowboys were coming out of just such an abyss of, no name quarterback, or not even necessarily no name quarterback, just bad quarterbacks. I mean, we knew yeah. the name, we knew the name Quincy Carter, and we knew who Vinny Testaverde was. Yeah, we knew. <laughs> hey man, Drew hey, Bledsoe, hey. we know hey. these guys. Vinny Testaverde is off limits. I'm declaring that right now. Like I, I understand he wasn't good. You know how you have those players that even if they're not good, you rock with them. Vinny okay. Testaverde for some oh, you reason. You rock with Vinny Testaverde like that for some? I can't tell you why. Actually, oh, I probably can. Quarterback oh. Club '99. He was my quarterback. I don't understand. Oh, but, okay. but, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, Vinny Dig deep I, on this because. I, I don't, I don't, I'm sorry. Vinny right. Testaverde will be good okay. with me forever, well, even though he threw all of them interceptions. Right. All of them. In the room. Well, okay. well, you went through an abyss of bad quarterbacks and Vinny Testaverde. Thank you for him. And so, and so when they finally got uh, Tony Romo, maybe it was like, oh, we finally found a guy who can actually win you know we find a guy who can be our future whereas with Dak I don't know probably win like he was eight and eight I didn't you know what three years in a row with a chance to win here's the thing that I've learned about 
I've always been a Cowboys fan, but at the same time, what I've learned being now actually here and being here for almost seven years, folks cape so hard for Antonio Ramiro Romo. Like my mentions when they when I mention Tony Romo in any kind of negative term or light, folks want to take and bite my head off over Antonio Romero Romo. I don't know if that's because of what he's become as an analyst with CBS and all the fanfare we give him there. I don't know what it is, but man, let me tell you something. You say one thing bad about Antonio Romero Romo, folks are coming for you. And I'm just like Yo, this is the same QB that went eight and eight three years in a row, and y'all gave him $108 million. Y'all didn't have a problem with that, but y'all have a problem giving this quarterback a guy who's, you know, done all of this. And oh, I just, yeah. I, okay. The wins don't work there. Those teams stunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I can't, yeah, wins you can't do the quarterback wins with me. Sorry. Those teams okay. weren't good. And that's yeah. the tough part is like, then there's a lot more context, and I think we've gotten a lot smarter when it comes to team building, or maybe not smarter necessarily, but we've, we've changed philosophies on some of this where we understand you need a good quarterback, but, like, not all money is good money in that way, right? Like, if you yeah. pay too much money, you realize that you can handicap yourself. That's some people. I'm not saying everybody's coming from that extremely logical position. Some people just don't like the cat, right, for whatever reason. But I think a lot more people are looking at it as, hey, man, there's certain situations where now you have, you have to be a lot smarter with your money under the salary cap and then also the situation is a little different right like I don't think you had nearly as much money tied up in the ways that you did when you paid up when you paid Tony Romo and also I and I can't fully remember it but to say that we didn't have a problem with paying excuse me with paying Tony Romo I don't know if that's a hundred percent accurate, just because there were certain folks who just yeah. did not want to pay Romo that yeah. kind of money. He was coming; he was thirty-two years of age at the time. Like, folks, there were some folks who were like, "No, we're not paying. Shouldn't yeah. pay Romo all that money." And you still have your people, like even up until the time he retired. Like that was part of the re- like that's one of part of the reason why Dak was able to keep the job. Like not only just because of what they were doing on the field and the momentum, but there was a big enough segment of the fan base that was like. Tony Romo's done. He, he there wasn't arguments that he was a good quarterback. Like obviously, like, yeah, he's a good quarterback. He can't stay healthy. He makes the wrong decisions at the wrong time. So, well, I was and, one of the few that wanted to put him back in in 2016 when they had won that them yeah, nine games and, in a row. Like and, I was like, put Romo in there. Like this, yeah. Is and I'm and I'm there with you. Like I, I thought he was a better. He would have been a better option going forward if you put him back in and you have a backup like Dak Prescott to go for the playoff run, I think that's great. So I, but I, you know, I think it's one of those things that as we've gone on throughout time, people start to block that out of their memory. And it's like, you don't remember all the bad. It's just, Oh, these were the good days with Tony Romo and he was able to make all these. Right. Yeah. And it's just the idea, the nostalgic idea of, Oh, that quarterback, when he was there, I remember him making this play and that play. And you just haven't given Dak the opportunity to make those, those kind of plays. And, and even, even more important than that, Dak is nowhere even close to entering his prime yet. Well, now I'm not going to say nowhere close. He's like, two, three years away, but he's still years away from entering into his prime, which I think a lot of people leave out when they're talking about the Dak Prescott, Tony Romo uh, comparison. But I, I, you know, I think you're going to always have this kind of polarizing and it's Dak Prescott. So it's going to be even more polarizing because you, you have those people who are out there very I'm smaller segment, but you have a group of people out there who 
don't necessarily feel great about having a black quarterback. Like, that's just how it is. But on top of that, so that's going to add to it. But whenever you're the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, you're going to be one of the most divisive, polarizing figures in sports media, whether it's a Tony Romo, whether it's a Dak Prescott, whether it's whoever. If, if, they brought, if they brought Trevor Lawrence in here next year, you would have a huge debate over if he's overrated or not. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. it's – I. I want the deal to hurry up and get done. I think you need to pay Dak. He's definitely proven it. But I think that's why I, I know the I know the Romo lovers are all in your mentions right now, and they're probably they're they're, they're going at you hard. I could probably check right now. They're probably I'm, I'm still going at it. I tweeted this out like two days ago, and folks have been in my mentions for the last nearly three days. Hey man, mute conversation. Uh, mute Tony Romo. <laughs> no, I mean, you don't got to mute Tony Romo. Just that conversation, the ones that everybody's responding to, mute conversation. Um, but this is the th- – I think that's interesting, uh, Sterling, that um, – actually, I'll come back. I'll circle back around to it. Historically, something hit me. Did Russell Wilson have – do we have as much debate? And I know it's not going to be as easy for us to talk about this because we weren't in Seattle's uh, sphere of discussion. But I feel like Russell Wilson was somebody who had some of this discussion of, like, whether you pay him big money because there was you had a team that leaned heavily on the run, that he did not have to be, like, the star quarterback in the way that we think about, you know, drop back and toss it all the time. And then, so when the time came where you, you know, you either got to decide whether to pay him or you get rid of him, then the discussion became, is he good enough to deserve all this money to warrant all this money? And I think if I remember correctly, there was a little bit of discussion around that. There, there was a lot of thought, back. Yeah. A lot of folks thought he was a byproduct of the fact, well, he had the Legion of Boom defenses and they carried him, you know, especially, well, they did kind of carry him in that first Super Bowl. Yeah. But first, he's yeah. proven over time that. You got Russell Wilson back there, like you can you can do some things. Maybe not to the level in winning a degree that you know he was doing with those deep. But again, it's a team sport. Like you need, you know. Oh, now it's a team sport. That's what I've been trying to tell. <laughs> shut, shut up. Now that we're not talking about QB wins. Now we're not talking about QB wins. wins now. <laughs> the whole thing with Dak, right? It's like what are the wide receiver wins though? I'm just if being a jerk over here. Jumps in my mentions and says. You know what? Dak has had to have good players around him. He's had to have great wide receivers and running backs and offensive line. What what quarterback have you known to have won a Super Bowl or done any kind of significant winning and did not have great players around them? I've never understood why folks with this particular player, like, well, he's been carried by Amari Cooper and Ezekiel Elliott and a great offensive line. He can't do it without, you know, really good players. Tom Brady doesn't do it without good players. Aaron Rodgers never sure did it without great on. players. Drew Brees hasn't done it without great players. I don't understand that particular argument when it comes to Dak Prescott in these conversations. That's the one that's really kind of just blown my mind. It's just like, what? what, what and the tough thing, about? the tough thing is football is is something where you can't control for variables, right? Like no, you, you, you can't. can't. So like how much factor does those do those players play in? It's really tough to determine quarterback to quarterback. How much factor does your coaching play in, right? Like, it's hard. You can't really determine that. So, like, there's a lot of things where it makes it tough. And also, like, I think Sterling hit on something. I don't know if you were intentionally doing that or not. But, like, Maybe. the protraction of this, con- of this conversation of paying him has made this part of it. Like, I know there's been discussion about this for long before we were in contract talk. So, I don't want to make it that. But normally with you when you have a dude on a rookie con- – maybe not on a rookie contract, but you have a dude coming up near the end of his contract, especially a quarterback – a quarterback that you have by and large said that you really like that's going to be here for a long time. You extend, Before, you extend him. So he would have been long extended a long time ago, but he wasn't. 
Because now he's going to get that new, new money. Like through okay. that. And all and like now you're getting to a point where we've had these discussions about the quarterback for so long. It's allowed these conversations to linger and fester. And I think in situations maybe like a Russell Wilson or other situations that are similar, maybe Kirk Cousins was another one that was protracted. So you had the conversation about, is he good enough to determine this money for so much longer? And I think that's what plays into some of it where we're going, man, people really hate Dak. It's like, we just we just got nothing we just been talking about this for a long time so like oh, it just boy. escalates because also we're really bad at arguing i mean the collective we i'm good at arguing i don't know what you're talking about but we collectively <laughs> um we collectively are bad at this to the point where it's everything's either amazing or terrible and i think that that also factors in oh, so we yeah. end up we've oh. been talking about it for so long and now you on the you, side that he's good. I got to be on the side that he's awful. Is not a thing anymore. No, it is right. not. I got to I got to be on the side that he's awful. And the longer this goes on, there's got to be a way for me to make it seem like I'm giving you like I got to I got to turn this up at some point, right? We can't just stay the same level forever. So now he's the most awful. He's so so terrible and you know, mm-hmm. I feel like that also factors in. So we have a long period of time talking about this and then people just feel like they got to keep ramping it up. And kind of like you said, Reggie. Oh, yeah. Sorry. And, and kind of like you said there. I mean, especially in sports media and really at this point now media in general if you have a it's funny if you have a good point that's you know it's balanced it's like hey look he's a good quarterback he can improve on this he deserves this money maybe not that if you have enough of that kind of an argument it's not wow that was a good uh factually based argument it's like man get off the fence and pick a side so like, you know what's fun is when you don't decide to play right like i'm a guy who yeah. actually doesn't decide to, like it doesn't matter how whether whether he deserves it the situation yeah. is in the nfl you need a quarterback who's capable he's a capable quarterback you can't just throw those away because you can't find him on the street therefore you must pay him right like that one throws him. people that one throws people off because they're like wait, wait wait but you're not playing the game we talking about this sorry that's the answer mm-hmm. for that's me it. that's it um oh anyway i've become a dak avenger apparently because i stayed defending dak prescott for a myriad of reasons <laughs> but anyway um so it's funny because we were talking about polarizing figures and obviously we've just come off probably one of the most intriguing most i think will become one of the most decorated documentaries that we've ever seen <laughs> really uh, you think so I, I i sports documentaries yes i think the last dance will become one of the most decorated sports documentaries that we've ever like oj yeah OJ made in america that 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 is into a class into itself like that is amazing like <laughs> we could do several episodes just on oj made in america like all by itself but what's come out this week so one of the biggest storylines of this whole documentary, Michael Jordan and the dream team and his not wanting Isaiah Thomas on the team. Now, mm-hmm. Michael in the documentary was like, no, I didn't, I didn't say I didn't want, you know, Isaiah on the, on the dream team. You know, that's, that's not what I said. Mm-hmm. And then magic had came out later. It was like, there was a whole bunch of us that wasn't feeling magic on the dream mm-hmm. team. Well, apparently now audio has surfaced of one Michael Jeffrey Jordan explicitly saying, no, I will not play on the dream team with Isaiah Thomas. And now well, to be to be fair, uh-huh. it's only audio of Michael Jeffrey Jordan telling somebody else that he told Rob Thorne that he didn't want Isaiah Thomas on the team directly. So, you know, not exactly him <laughs> saying it, but <laughs> well, technically what you're saying is that Michael told somebody else that he didn't want to play with Isaiah. It's Thomas. almost worse. It's like, hey man, and I told them I will not. <laughs> so it's become clear that Michael wasn't necessarily feeling the idea of Isaiah Thomas playing on 
So this is where I'm, tr- I'm trying to go with this, is that we've seen a lot of these things now. Uh, Sam Smith, who wrote the Jordan Rules, was like, man, Michael and that the, the food poisoning story, like, that, that didn't happen. Like, that wasn't, that wasn't true. And so also the, the, that the, was interesting the, to me. The pizza man came out here and said, like, nah, it was just me. The, right. So, okay. I just brought him a pizza. That's so all I did. Has, has your opinion of Jordan changed? Not, not the basketball stuff. Like, you know, that's, that's one thing. Which, honestly, it should have, right? Like, I don't think people understand the context of him being – well, some people don't, right? Obviously, if you weren't there to see it. Um, The context does help you change your opinion in the positive light, but I get what you're saying. Uh, About how Michael portrayed himself, some of his teammates, Horace Grant has not been happy. Your boy, Scottie Pippen, is apparently livid about the way he's been portrayed uh, about in this documentary. Has this changed your opinion – of Michael and the way that he went about dealing with the last dance as a situation and his teammates, whether it be Horace Grant, you know, whomever. Not, not for me. I mean, for, I knew he was an asshole. So if we're going to be completely, <laughs> if we're going to be completely honest, yeah, like, yep, I, knew who, I knew who Michael Jordan was. Like, I wasn't like, wow, he was, he was a bully. Like I've known these stories about him getting into fights with teammates. I've known that he's, like a you know hard leader he's a dictator on the court like i've understood that so as far as my perception really i don't think it changed i don't think it really changed my perception of anybody um even, it has even changed my perception a little bit of scotty though i'm not gonna when I, I was gonna even say because even with scotty pippen um you know there were a few things there that i didn't i don't know but not not to knock scotty uh like my feelings about him all oh, the propaganda worked yeah. Well, no, 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 no. But, 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 but here's, here's what I'm saying, though. Uh, and, and it goes back to, you know, riding the fence. Because <laughs> from, from this documentary, I, I was enlightened to a few more of the poor teammate aspects of, of Scotty as far as, you know, sitting out when. Really? The, the, you viewed yeah. him as a poor teammate? Well, no, 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 no. Aspects. I think he was a great teammate overall. Having, okay. mo- having moments of, you know, not, not to take, not to, I knew about the migraine game against the Pistons. It's hard to play with the migraine. I'll give him I a pass it. for the migraine game. I'll give him a pass for that. Okay. That's, that's kind of insane he, to be asking somebody to play with a migraine. I mean, he that's, went out and battled with a back that he couldn't run on. So, but he told me he couldn't see. Like you, you there be a decoy. You, 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 you was able to be decoy a, where decoy. I can't see man, my brain. Come on, my bro. brain yeah. is thumping yeah. to the all point right, where right. my eyes it's don't work. Right. What are we all talking right. about? So, yeah. All right, so it's all right, so him, him, bro, him, I would, him, I would call into work if my finger was hurting. Just me. But even, even like, make a headache. You think I got a headache where I can't see? I'm coming to work. You crazy? Two baskets. I don't know where I'm shooting at. I get it. It was tough for him. But even like, I'm just like that. I already knew about that. I didn't realize that he took himself out of the ball game because the 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 shot wasn't coming his direction. But at the same time, uh, it was it was enlightening to see. I didn't realize how hurt he was in the Utah game. The fact that he was able to power through it. Uh, I didn't really like. I knew Scotty was a really good player. I didn't realize at the level that Scotty Pippen was playing at, you know? So I don't think it necessarily hurt my opinion of Scotty Pippen because there were parts where I was like, oh, well, that's, ugh, I don't 
something like that. But there are other parts was like, oh, wow, okay, Scotty, I see you, get it in. So overall, I, I, I came out with, like, you know, net average leaving out with no change in my opinion of him. But, I, you know, I de- it was definitely eye-opening for certain things. I wouldn't have paid for play for that little money either, though. <laughs> uh, but this is the tough thing, right? Like, we can't, we can't uh, knock this fact that, like, Scotty got himself into that situation, right? right. And, and it helps to, under- on it. It helps to understand – what was that? No, I was say he doubled down on the situation that he took himself out of the playoff against. Like, yeah, if I had the opportunity to take myself out of the playoff, I would have done it again. Oh, yeah, no, you I, I, you no, I'm, I'm talking about the money thing, right? Like the money thing, he put himself in that situation where he wasn't making a lot of money because, right. like, and it, it helps to understand like the situations that caused it, right? Scotty grew up poor, and when I say poor, poor I don't broke. mean like poor. He was they was broke, broke. right? Yeah. Like his agent went back to the house that he was living at that he had with his folks, and like the agent was like, twelve people live here. Like that's like it, that type of so like they yeah, was right. poor poor and then like they was poor before then two people in the family ended up in wheelchairs or ended up incapacitated so and like then you got Scotty with like that level of poverty looking around like like hey I'm man we like I, I got I got I gotta be it and not only that like I never like on top of like the the conscious like the very front of mind there's the back of mind like poverty things where he said you were like I never want to be that. So like I'm I'm out right now, but how long can it last? Right? Like the, the reality of the situation. So like, hey man, give me a contract as long as possible, make sure them checks coming. Well, yeah. Scotty, it's not smart to do that. Well, I need I need it. I need it. Right now. And then on the back end, you go, wait a minute. I I should be making more money. Yeah, but you that was the trade-off you made. I get why you made it and it's tough. That was a trade-off you made. Now, when it comes to this pulling yourself out the game. He probably shouldn't have done that. But, <laughs> but, but, hold on, hold on, hold on, okay. hold on. Hold on. Right. I'll, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll, I'll wait. wait. Yeah, I'm going to wait. He also spent so many of his years learning that the number one player gets Jordan stuff, right? Like, number Jordan was the number one player, and Jordan was treated a certain way, oh, and no, everybody acting like a certain no, way with Jordan. No, so wait. he spent all his way looking like that's how the organization goes. Jordan leaves and he's like, boom, I'm Jordan now. And then That's, they was like, bro. That's Pippa's problem. That, clearly that was Pippa's problem. Can you blame him for thinking that? He was okay. sitting there looking at it. Okay, but also, our, we got to – that wasn't – I know it was Jordan's team, but, like, when it came time for Michael Jordan to defer to John Paxson, he wasn't like, no, Doug, I'm taking myself out of the game. No, Phil, I'm going to the bench because now you want me to pass to John Pat. Like, he went to where the game like, – like, he he still went in the flow of the game, whereas Scotty was just like, look, man, I should be number one. I should be he the wanted guy the taking hero the ball shot. It's the he principality of his smokey. Uh, like, it's, this, like, it's about the principality of winning this basketball game because Kukos yeah, – This is the thing. Michael, Michael Jordan was always about winning the basketball game, and I'm not trying to knock him for that. Like, I'm not – knocking Jordan on this way like Jordan was absolutely always here for winning the basketball game we talk about the other stuff in a different part but right like Scotty is not looking at it from that perspective it's like hey man when Jordan said he wants something he gets it right even if it's like okay ultimately I'm gonna make the pass if Jordan was like I'm taking a shot what was you gonna do get a ball to Jordan oh, that's right yeah, yeah, so yeah. Scotty Pippen's like Jordan gone I'm new Jordan right like I'm I'm running things now so I want the shot and it was like sorry homie you're not Jordan he's like thanks your time you man no. What you mean? Yeah. Right, like I've been sitting, I've been sitting in line waiting for my <laughs> turn. Now it's my turn. Y'all tell me y'all ran out of chicken. Like that's what you're telling me now. now. It's my now you telling me y'all didn't run out of juice. Uh, this man, is like, okay. 
man, like Kukoc had hit those shots before. This wasn't like, new. I'm not saying Scotty's right. I'm saying <laughs> okay, I understand right. how you get there. All right, all right, all right, all right. Fair enough, fair enough. Like, I get it. Like, I get, I'd be mad, too. Like, hey, man, I was number two, but I was waiting for my time to be number. And this is the thing, yeah. also, you have to remember. Scotty absolutely did not think he was Jordan, but he thought he could be a number one. So the yeah. time comes to being a number one, and I've been a number one. I've been number one quality. So now it's time for me to do number one stuff. That is Why y'all not let me do number one stuff? Coach of all time, because he realized, Scotty, you will never be a number one. You are a perfect number two. Stay in your lane. <laughs> like, but Scotty was, but uh, Scotty was the number one that that season, though, right? Like I, he I, was the number. That would have came yeah. down to crunch time, apparently, because Kukoc was. But this is the, the ball, thing: is that that's not about being number one. That's about being. <laughs> that's about being the shooter in that right situ- for the right situation. Scotty was never that shooter, but he was the number one, right? Like those are different things. So like, oh, Kukoc was the was the dude that you wanted for the last second shot, but that doesn't mean he was the number one on your team. No, because my number one is to take the last shot every time. That that was this is, the tough part about trying to do that is that not everybody fits those two categories. You have two circles, and sometimes you have a Venn diagram there. Sometimes you have a circle that overlaps, but other times you don't. Right? <laughs> so like, there's sometimes that you just need to go. Hey man, we got the dude who can do all the stuff for most of the game, and then in the last second, maybe we need to get somebody out here who can do a certain thing better than that guy i feel like this on 2k i I, i'm on my uh my league team i ball with kimball walker but you be hitting that a button huh i i do but if i (laughs) need that pass me the ball right right at this moment pass me the ball i wonder who else was hitting that a button hey scotty pippen from hamburg arkansas (laughs) (laughs) well hey one thing though before we move on from them uh I'm trying. I was trying to find it, but I couldn't find it. The other thing I won't totally blame Scotty for with the contract too, like the NBA was struggling. Like they didn't know that there was going to be this influx of money. So maybe when he saw seven years, he's like, all right, well that's fine. But it this gives is the me problem time. with that. The I, problem I, with that I, is yeah, even the, own, the owner no. who was giving him the contract he, was like, hey man, I wouldn't he, sign that mess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Reisdorf is telling like, hey man, you might not want to. Every everybody told sure his agent told him his. Owner, the owner told him, like, everybody was like, nah, bro, this probably isn't the best look. He's like, I, I don't give a damn. Put my name on his paper. So, yeah, no, nah, yeah. he got to take his life. Why didn't Reinsdorf just say, hey, let's go throw him? If he really felt like that, why didn't he go throw some What, so Reinsdorf was supposed to not take? This is the thing no, that no, people no, do no, with no, the Kobe Bryant thing, too, right? No, I get it. This I is the it. thing. Hey, man, if somebody is putting it, if somebody is trying to give you a deal, how, how are you supposed to tell them no, right? Like, this is the thing that I hate that especially Mavericks fans do, and I don't mm-hmm. care if this makes people mad because this is something I care about a oh, lot. It's, this, oh. it's, my, uh, it's my tagged tweet, if you'd like to go, at Reg oh. Attitude on Twitter. Yeah. Um, the idea that get, you need to give up money to make things go, like, that's a requirement of you, Ridiculous. right? Like, Dirk did it. Yeah. Cool, you can say whatever you want. I'm not going to say what I call Dirk for that. Um, because it'll make people unnecessarily mad, and that's a little further than I want to go. But people well, always go. Hold on, you can't. Wait, no, no. Let me finish. That. Wait we a get minute. We we'll get there. We can. Okay. We can talk through it if you want. I'm okay. here for you. Okay. I'm here for you, baby. Um, but then people will go. Well, look at Kobe. He ruined those Lakers teams. Kobe ain't do nothing. Kobe was in there shooting in the gym. They came to ask him, "Would you like an abundance of money?" And he said, "Yes." <laughs> Because that's the right answer. Like, would, would you like? Would you like riches far beyond your dreams and imagination? Yes, sir. Yes, please. Where do I sign? Right, like, and then and then it messed up the salary cap. It'd be like that sometimes. But I didn't go looking for this. They came and brought it to me. How you gonna knock me for that? So the same thing with Jerry Reinsdorf. He's sitting there like, hey, bro, you know this probably isn't the best look. He's like, I don't care. Give me the deal. Damn, what am I supposed clear to do? Clear every two weeks. Does the checks clear every two weeks? If that's the case, let's go ahead and do it. What am I supposed to do? I got I to gotta do this. I, I got to sign him. 
Yeah. He's giving Scotty, me a crazy has deal. Come off real, real sensitive to me in all of this. And I, I don't know how I, I'm still wrestling with Scotty at this particular moment because I thought he was a little Which bit is good. Like that. that's what a good documentary does, right? Like they yeah. hum, they humanize the person. And I don't mean that in like kind of the the way that we think it, the connotation right. of just like humanizes them, softens them, makes them look nicer to you. No, it makes them a human. And I yeah. think that's something that the documentary did in a little bit. If, in fact, I kind of don't like calling it a documentary because this is why I didn't particularly learn very, well, I learned stuff, but I learned stuff through. Are you in the autobiography uh, camp? Is that where you're at with this? Oh, I absolutely love the, 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 the Jordan rules and those things. But like, I, I'm, I'm someone who I need a documentary to be like impartial and beat a documentary. I need you to fact check things. I need you to do that. And I learned more things about Jordan, maybe not things that I didn't know before, but things that helped heighten my understanding of the things that he cares about, not through what was said during the documentary, but through the very clear influences and in places where his hand and his production company made influences on the way that things went right yeah so then you see what he cares about you see the things that he cares about the fact that he broke down crying about the fact that uh people were probably going to look at him like he was crazy for be, you know being a jerk to all these people except we didn't see him break down when he was talking about his father's passing now he had a lot of time to deal with his father's passing and he, you know he's talked about how you know the words that his father told him in life kind of helped him grieve through that death so i don't want to make this very callous but like we didn't see him they did not put visuals of him breaking down during that moment except we saw him break down at the idea of defending his right to be out here belittling and badgering his teammates and i didn't want that to sound um yeah partial but it's still gonna come out that way because i think jordan's bullying a jerk even though he's incredible oh, yeah. um so, but yeah no you see that and that's part of what i learned about oh no he cares about how people view him greatly and that like and i learned that in another way in this in this documentary so speaking of humanized, I don't know if you if you two watched this on Sunday because I I wanted to make sure because I'm gonna watch part two. Yep. on Sunday, Lance, mm -hmm. um, the two part documentary about Lance Armstrong and his fall from grace, becoming the one of the world's large or most visible athletes, winning seven, the Tour de France seven times, and then obviously we know you know doping and all this that in the third. So. One, your impressions of part one, and two, here's where I want to go with this because I don't think this part, and I don't know how this is going to sound, but it's going to sound the way it comes out. What Lance, I think, understood or in his you know, narcissistic mind came to realize was that when you think about what he went through with cancer and then winning the Tour de France, and now obviously he was doping and all these other things, you know, cheating in that sense. I think he realized, though, and this is what he, I think, capitalized on what people kind of think about with respect to comeback stories, you know, the hero worship, that kind of thing. I think Lance understood more than anything that my story, no matter how much of a lie it is, is going to inspire hope in others because I think folks would rather deal in the idea of the hope that they have that they could come out on the other side of something as bad as cancer or whatever the case may be because they saw one of their heroes do it rather than deal with the harsh truth of what it actually took to become what it is that Lance became, even though he cheated and all this, that, and the third. I think Lance understood that. I think that's why he continued to keep up what he was doing because he's like, man, my story in the most narcissistic way of all things is like helping people overcome whatever they feel like they can overcome because I overcame cancer and I'm winning these championships, even though I'm out here doping, but nobody knows it at the time. I think he understood that in some kind of a strange way thought in his mind that he was a hero of some sort. I don't know how you guys 
feel about that or if any of that I just said made any sense based on what, you know, we've come to learn about Lance Armstrong. I get what you're saying. I don't think that's necessarily the case because one thing that he said, and this is one thing I'll say about Lance Armstrong, it does not seem like he is lying at least in, in the way that most people would view it when he's talking in this documentary. And I view this more as a documentary than uh, like, especially in stark ju- juxtap- juxtaposition with the last dance. Yeah. Um, they've been, they've been very clear in the way that they get from him. And he's been pretty matter of fact about a lot of these things. So I appreciate that from some, a certain level, of course, he's going to try and color some of these things, but the documentary does a decent job of trying to counteract some of that um, with other, uh, other interviews and stuff. But he said himself, like he, I don't think he realized, uh, did, did I lose? Okay. No, that's just my screen. Um, I don't think he realized how big of a story he, he, he had become for a good amount of it, right? Like he did not realize how, how wide and how wide reaching this had become. Um, and if you choose to believe him in that, I don't think that that would then track with the idea that he's like, Hey man, I'm doing all this winning and it's making people believe. So I'm going to keep winning for that. I think he was just winning for himself because that's the way that he's like, that's the way he's wired. And I don't mean that in no good way. Like he is wired to like, just he's he's a competitive asshole to that point like he his competition level is all about hey man i gotta win it's gotta be me i gotta keep doing it's gotta win right like for his own ego but i do think that there was some side of this where they put it together and they looked around and they was like look man we can we can do some charity as well i guess and maybe that's some level of self-soothing where he's like i'm gonna make myself feel better about some of this even though i don't think so because he does not seem very uh, apologetic about most of this but maybe it was just the people around him was like hey man give back like there's a lot of things that could have motivated that. And maybe there's, you know, maybe he's not an entirety of a, a monolith where he's all bad. And maybe there's some level of him that's like that re- recognizes, Hey man, I went through this really hard thing. There's gotta be people out there going through hard stuff. Let me see if I can help him out. Um, but I don't think that it connected in a way of like, yeah, man, I'm so big. I'm gonna keep doing this winning so that people look at me like some sort of hero. No, no, he was doing all that, all that winning and cheating to win for him. And also, I think you kind of hear it, and and for me, for me personally, and I feel like this is how a lot of the public feels as well. It wasn't even necessarily the the doping and the cheating that really made people mad and made Lance the guy he is. And I'm sure they'll get into it in the next one. The thing that made Lance such a, a villain to the public was how he was just denying it like crazy throwing people like under the bus trying to take people through he was suing people that was telling him like dude no yes. this is what you were doing we got and, the proof like and, and, and it was happening in a sport and it, it was kind of like the steroid era in baseball when you look at cycling it was rampant throughout the sport so like i i mean and that's where my and anger just to be fair just, like it's actually different than the steroid era in baseball because in baseball right like barry bonds the one that comes to mind Barry Bonds was incredible before he started taking steroids. And then he yeah. took steroids because it was like, look, man, I'm incredible and nobody's giving me the time of day. These dudes, other dudes taking steroids. So let me take steroids to make myself look just as good as them and not get some acknowledgement. No, 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 no. You could not compete in right. cycling without the steroids. Like you're going to, ju- you're going to dope or you're not going to compete yeah. period. Yeah. So then, sorry, I didn't mean to stop. No, 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 like, no, you're fine. But no, but like, and, and you're exactly right, though, because it's that's what the culture of the sport had become. So for me to be a, like, for me personally, for anybody to be upset at, at Lance for for doping or cheating, 
I I really don't care. That part doesn't. My man matter. was just trying to level the playing field for himself yeah, at that like, point. If, if that's what they're doing. That's what it's what and you know that's what he had to do to make sure he's staying in competition to be in. Like once he was on the same playing field as everybody else, then he was able to surpass. Like he was still finishing somewhat. It was he wasn't anywhere where he should have been, but he was still being slightly competitive with that. And he realized I have no chance of winning if I don't do this. So I didn't really even really care about the the doping and using that to win. I'm more upset at him about the lying and just dragging people who don't have it like that. Like it's okay for Lance Armstrong to spend all this day in court. Like, and they talked about it in one of the the first parts. Uh, he was like, "Well, you know, they're trying to sue me for a hundred million, but they only got me for five. I can afford that." Like that was ridiculous. <laughs> I was like, five million dollars? If you tell me, I'm like, that's ridiculous. So like, he was he was dragging all these people who didn't have that through all, that. and that's where. For me personally, my dislike for him comes from, I think for a lot of the public, that's where it comes from. So I don't, uh, to to circle all the way back to the point, uh, I don't think that necessarily he was doing it because he thought he was, I think think that's why he went and sued all the people was because he thought, oh, my story is going to carry me through. I've got all this goodwill built up with people. And at that point, he thought he was untouchable. But as far as the actual cheating goes, I don't think that had anything to do with it. He just wanted to win. Yeah, the, the one thing about, like, humans is that, like, we will give you a lot of leeway if we like you, mm-hmm. right? Like, and this, yeah, that's, that's the true. thing is, like, part of that liking you is, like, if you lay prostrate before us in some ways, like, we can, we can let some things go. Like, pe- people don't actually really care about cheating, I don't believe. People don't care. No. Pe- people care about you being defiant, right? Like, people be- care about you not prostrating before us. Um, one thing you can point to. Andy Pettit, right? He, like he to had, bring it back to us. Yes. Andy Pettit cheated. Andy Pettit cheated his ass off, honestly. Like he was out here cheating with the best of them. He came because this is the thing. He came out here, was like, I'm sorry. He gave excuses, and we found out that he was lying at that point. And then it was like, My bad, my bad. I shouldn't have lied. I was lying, but I'm so sorry about it. And people ultimately was like, Y'all know, nah, we like Andy. He's a cool dude. We're gonna let you slide on this. Your man Roger Clemens got out here. Big yeah, lion. They was like, man, screw this dude. But Barry Bonds out here still being a, like Barry Bonds was an mm-hmm. asshole, and he ain't give up his gangster. People are like, man, I don't give a damn about no, no. Barry Bonds. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, no, I think that's a, that's a lot of it. And when it came to um, Lance Armstrong, as both of you mentioned, that story was just too good to give up, even though it didn't make a lick of sense, right? Like this dude that mm-hmm. battled car- uh, cancer, came back and beat all these dudes who was doping. Sure. Uh, he was faster than ever. <laughs> he was faster than he was without an other testicle. Like, I don't think it was weighing him down that much, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> they banned, or they quote-unquote banned uh, PEDs and doping and then turned at the, at the Tour de France and then turned around the next year and had the fastest times. Ever. Like, what? <laughs> That's the right there. Should let it, you it's know. funny you say that because one of the wildest parts about that is that Basically, Lance was in the pocket of the, I guess, the head of the, I don't know if this is the head of the Tour de France, the head of, you know, the cycling union. Yeah, cy- this, this is the yeah. thing. You say in the pocket. Lance wasn't doing nothing about that. The dude of cycling was just like, hey, man, we got LeBron right here. We just about to throw LeBron away. He giving us all this attention in a sport that don't nobody care about normally. And he was like, yeah, I'm going to let this slide. Like, are you kidding me? Like, all this attention we get, of course. The story is too damn good. <laughs> it's too damn good. Yeah, Plus, like, you finally have Americans that are interested in cycling. Like, Not, uh, not just Americans. Like, yes, Americans. But Americans are here. Like, everybody's here for the sob story, not to be crass. But I guess that's where I, I mean, am. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. no, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I, how are you supposed to fight cancer? Mm-mm. Give me a story better than beat cancer, please. 
I dare you. And then become the greatest at your sport at the time. And no one had ever really. It's mythical, right? Like it's mythical. They're like, yeah, I was, I was so, so at the sport. Then I beat cancer, this unbeatable thing. All these (laughs) smart people and uh, doctors can't beat it. I beat it. And then I got out here and I got even better at cycling. Yes. That's a great story. That's a great story. But it's a story. Like if you believe that, like you are believing that in spite of all logic. And and when you realize that people are doing that, you're like, how am I supposed to throw this away? That's my point. I think, and I think that's what Lance eventually realizes. Like this story is none other like we've ever seen before. And folks are going to want to capitalize. Not only am I going to get to capitalize off of it, but folks would rather believe in something that ridiculous then be faced with dealing with the truth of what lying and sure. cheating Lance Armstrong was doing because they had something to actually hold on to. And when you see a man of this nature beat cancer on his deathbed, stage four testicular cancer, and then becomes the greatest at his sport that we have ever seen, folks would be like, well, I can do that too. I don't care if he was dope and I don't care if he was cheating. And folks want to hang on to that. And I think folks didn't want to have to deal with the, the ugly truth that came with everything that Lance Armstrong was because it was too good of a story to, to not be following and be and, a part of. But if if at the end of all this, if when they, if the I, or not the IOC, that's the Olympic, but whoever it was that finally. Water. Decided, water. That's it. Yeah. Need drink more World water. World Anti-Doping Agency. Yeah. Drink more water. Uh, so as soon <laughs> as, soon as like they started. With that? Is that what you like? <laughs> as soon as they started talking about it, I, that's why I think right then and there, if he would have said, look, I, I was doing it. I was doping. I'm sorry. Like, I don't, I don't think it would have taken anything away from his story. And that maybe that was just his psyche that wouldn't allow him to do that. But if he would have come out and said that like right away, I don't think it would have been a bad. If you would have had some people who were like, "Wow, I can't believe he cheated," but then once they understood the whole landscape of cycling, they'd be like, "Okay, well, I understand." But it was just the denial after denial and the court cases that really, really pushed this story to what it became. And because had he just admitted it and apologized straight up. It still would have been an inspiring story. You would have had some people who have been upset at him for cheating, but overall it wouldn't have been yeah, what man. it's grown into today. I, and I, you're right in some regard, but also, hey, man, inspiring story. Don't sell these. Don't, don't, don't put this money in my pocket, true, right? Like, and then also, the, less than that, I don't know how much of the, the money was the thing. Like, dog, this dude is a comp- – like, he wants to be the best, and I don't mean that in no good way. Like, it, it was it, – it's a drug to him. Mm-hmm. Like, it's something that he needed, like, desperately in his – chemistry so like this that was part of it you know what i mean so like i get it you know maybe if he had came clean at that point you know people would have let it slide but that's not really how that man is wired to work that man needed he wanted to do this winning so desperately so yeah um i had another point i didn't forgot it doesn't matter okay yeah. sorry your man you sounded Lance. good it'll pop back up yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah your man lance was on some you know i'm gonna hold this grudge i'm gonna do all Lance is a different kind of cat, but I have a much better understanding now of why he did what he did, given the landscape that he was dealing with. No, you don't. It, that second part's going to be what it is, right? Like, but, the, why, oh, why he cheated, why he cheated in cycling, sure. But that yeah, second part is going to be the real that second part is what I'm waiting to see because I'm yeah. like, I get it. I, this whole time, I'm like, I get it. Sure, you cheated. I get why. You I mean, did don't that. you get why everybody cheats, though? It's pretty yeah. simple. Like, yeah, I just want to I I win. I get it. I understand. I mean, if you really boil it down. Well, I'm talking about to the degree that he did it. Sure. Like, he was, you know, like, the man couldn't answer the question definitively whether or not the EPO that he took gave him cancer. 
and then he went back and did it again. Well, it was like it was, it was the he thought it was the growth hormone is. Or yeah, 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 that, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then to be like, oh well, you know what? I came back from kids. Let me go take something different that is another performance enhancer. Like that's how badly he wanted to, you know, dominate cycling. But it's just like, oh. Like I beat but it yeah. once, I can do it again. Yeah, no, that that part too, I am interested in. But at first, I didn't think I was going to watch it because it's just like, well, you know, it's Lance Armstrong. You know, he cheated. Now what? But, but I have, I think that's that's where the trust in the thirty for thirty brand takes over, yes. right? Like the thirty for thirty brand means a lot. And when they are not uh, hamstrung by like situations where you have to agree to things just to get it done, a la Last Dance. Like, they put out great documentaries. Like, even the ones that you go, like, that wasn't a very good 30 for 30. It's all right. You can put it on watch it. Like, you might not be amazed by it, but, you know, they got some decent stuff out there. And that was part of the, another thing that kind of made me interested in this one was I was hearing how Lance Armstrong wasn't a fan of it or didn't like how he was portrayed in it. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. That means that this was done correctly. Like, we're like this, I'm right. Yeah, like, if, if, they're, if you have somebody who walks away and they're the subject of a document, I mean, I, I get it. Depending on who you are, yeah, sometimes it's like, yeah, I love the way that that came out and portrayed me. But if you're somebody as uh, polarizing and uh, just just as bad of a person as Lance Armstrong had been in certain aspects, there's no reason you should feel good about your documentary when it comes out. Yeah, so, you know why we're here? We weren't here <laughs> like, to find out. We weren't here to like uh, do no puff piece. You know why we're here. No, yeah, exactly no, why I, here. I, I didn't know what's going on. So when I was like, when they were like, oh yeah, he didn't like it. I was like, okay, I'm in on this. That's what he, I need. He didn't have any kind of creative control on this one, Lance. Mm, yeah. <laughs> the way they opened good. up the documentary was like, so when did you start doping? Oh, yeah. oh, we're just gonna just oh, jump right into that. Jump yes, right into bro. That. No, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what we're here for, actually. Which I was gonna ask you what your favorite color was. Come on, <laughs> man. Get out of here now. Oh, Lance, Lance Armstrong. Okay, yeah, and I can't forgot. wait for can't wait for part two because that's yeah, the part like as yeah. that's the part that will make him that that makes him irredeemable as a human being is like the idea that he decided to like just end people rather than like knowing that they are telling the truth just because like, hey man, people gonna side with me. I got the power here, like the power dynamic. He realized that and he decided to opt in, opt into it, right? Like I, I can, can, I can take you down regardless of if you're telling the truth or not, regardless of like, if you did anything wrong, I will end you just because I can for nothing else than to keep this thing afloat for a little bit longer. Yeah. And, and not only that, I mean, obviously we're going to see that, which is exciting, but you're also going to be able to see how he got to that level. Like I know we've seen like he got, you know, he beat cancer. He won one, but he, this man went on to win six more of the of the seven in a seven, row. Seven them things. So we're about to that, and that's. Uh, I mean, I I'm interested to see even you know before we get to that part. I'm I'm really interested to see how he was able to. I mean, obviously he treated, so that's how he was able to maintain. He pedal real fast early. Yeah. Oh well. Well, okay. Well, actually, never mind. I'm not watching part two. Then. All right. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, I, spoiled the whole thing thanks a lot Reggie. Ah, he's gonna win now i know i'm not watching but i i think part two is really gonna dive into i mean it was it was nice to know his background but i'm really excited for part two to see all yeah. of that all that yeah it was it, that's the one takeaway i had was that oh this dude been a jerk from day one got it cool day one he was 14 birth, out here forging birth certificates oh my God. bro his right. mom too she's low-key against it he was Good. All right, Last thoughts for the culture. Jagged Edge, 112. Your winner was who? Not applicable. I ain't watching. <laughs> I ain't get a chance to watch it either. Actually. Okay, good. I feel bad because I didn't really watch it either. My wife. Hey, oh, come on. Look, at, look at you. you oh, I thought you was about to make me feel bad for oh, a second. Oh, my gosh. <laughs>
have y'all been I, into the versus battles? Have y'all? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I've okay. hopped. Like I, I don't think I've ever felt as good about myself as when I was watching Badu and Jill Scott. That oh, made me feel God. warm and fuzzy inside. No, like a lot dude. of them are dope. And and let me uh, break a new little news to you fellas. Uh, I don't know when you're listening on the podcast. You probably already know this or may not. I don't know uh, who you follow in that way. But look like we got one scheduled for next week, I believe. Uh, Uh-oh. yes, this Sunday, let's take you to church. Kirk Franklin, Fred Hammond. Oh yeah, no. let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, okay. Side, side, side story, real quick. Okay, Fred Hammond, and well, first of all, Fred Hammond is my favorite artist. Period. Mm-hmm. Kirk Franklin's New Nation Project. I don't care what you believe. You were bumping New Nation Project. God's property, like all of you, who, you, people, I don't care who you were. Those two projects right there were in every car, in every household across America, period. What Kurt Franklin has become as a, not just a musical genius and an icon, but him and his ability to cross over, I think is one of the most underrated parts about gospel music and traditional music that you've seen in well, like, like secular 45. music is kind yeah, of like yeah but this like, is the t- this is the thing it's it's not that surprising because he's an incredible producer that skill that's real skill crosses over you know what i mean that's that's not tough you know what i mean if you're a great singer you can be in fact a lot of the great singers especially when we talk about r&b um and soul gospel started you know starting gospel aretha franklin's right. father was a preacher in detroit and that led in led her into uh motown like a lot of this is actually a lot closer than we want to give it credit for at times. So, yeah, no, it makes sense. Like, Kirk Franklin is an amazing, amazing producer who will also, you know, introduce you to the Thule. <laughs> Ooh, ain't that the truth. Ain't that the That's truth. one thing I love. He's so Dallas. He, he's like, oh, hey, man. That's right. You, you want to threaten my daughter, I'll, in- I'll introduce you to the side piece in Jesus' name. <laughs> in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Oh, man. One thing I've always said about Texas, they love their God, their guns, and their football, not necessarily in that order. Um, And Kurt Franklin is the uh, personification that I will be watching that on Sunday because, like I said, Fred Hammond is my favorite artist, period, anyway. Uh, And kind of right now, based on what's happening in in our world right now, we kind of need a little feel good on a Sunday. Tell me about it. (laughs) A little, you know, a little little faith and a little hope. well, I appreciate you, you know, letting us know that because uh, you're welcome. Yeah, that's been a uh, versus battles have been interesting. Everybody from their internet issues. Hello, Teddy Riley. Oh my uh, God, Nelly! <laughs> man, oh, that was awful. Okay, I have to ask this question. I promise. Nah, man, no, I gotta, I gotta defend my man Nelly for a second here, right? Try you know it. what really no, pissed me like, off about the Nelly? Defend talking? the dial-up. Let's go. Everybody was talking. Everybody was making fun of Nelly, and I get it. We here to make jokes, but like y'all was talking about Nelly, like he worked for Spectrum or something. Like how he's supposed to fix the internet, right? <laughs> like this. Call is the thing. somebody. Do something. You all right. All right. Calm down. You. If everybody here, everybody here, sixty some odd years old with everybody here has called the cable company. Tell me what you got. Tell me how how quick it was to fix that solution. Or you could have had that problem fixed before this whole thing started. If baby face what's to tell what's to tell you he didn't already get what's the to tell booster you he didn't already. The bo- get, thank you. Get the signal booster. What's to tell you he didn't already have the internet going right? Right? Like he stepped in there looking like he thought it was gonna work. We all been in a place where we pay good money for the internet. We spent step up to it expecting it to work one way and then it's the other. We've all been there. Let's not act like my man was and mighty, like there. Nelly ain't been in the. We ain't been in the exact same place. My man was like, "Hey, man, look, 
we got. Is <laughs> that this for you? <laughs> I I personally felt for Nelly. Like I, and this is the thing. Nelly got enough money. I bet he's not paying for no uh, dial-up uh, DSL internet. That man paying probably paying good money for the internet. Oh, and then yeah. you know Comcast just not coming through on that day. Shout Made him to- look bad, but he ain't the one who worked for the ISP, guys. <laughs> Shout okay. out Luda, though, for being cool about it. He's like, okay, Luda wasn't cool. Nah, <laughs> Luda was throwing a lot of shade. <laughs> I mean, right come on, you know, come on Nelly right, Mo. Right, we got to yeah. get your internet right, hey, Nelly Mo. Right. Come on. So I have to say this because I think this is something that I don't think folks really appreciate. And I don't know if it's a hot take or not, but I think it's true. Probably. I think Ludacris is the most underrated rapper in the last 20 years. He's up there. He's one of them. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think folks. Great have, feature, no. a great feature guy. Um, he 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 rarely gives you like trash verses. I must. I don't think I've ever heard a bad ludicrous verse. Like you might not go and go, hey man, this needs to be nominated for a Pulitzer, but he'll get you some stuff that's mm-hmm. fun. Like, sure. am I that's wrong in that? Have Have you ever heard a bad ludicrous verse? Like I don't think I'm trying to think. I haven't. I don't think I've ever heard a bad one from him. I'm sure if you dig into some of his newer stuff, you might find one or two. But yeah, there's probably a trash the, bar here and there. But the no, I mean that's the thing. It's like don't nobody shoot a thousand. And he, nobody, nobody shooting hundred percent. Nobody bats a thousand. Was there ever a bad verse? Peak Luda. I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I don't know. Think I can't think of one. Now, one thing I can tell you was a bad verse. If he was watching that verses and he started playing that uh, unreleased music, that mm-hmm. one where he started uh, shouting out all the all the abusers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, garbage. Yeah. <laughs> Basura. Like, I, I was like, Whoa. brother, how you gonna give me R. Kelly, uh, uh, Bill Cosby, and all them in one? Like, he Shout it took to him all. all of five seconds to get them mm-hmm. names out. I was like, dog, how you putting all these names in one song together that quickly, bro? What are you doing? You need to split them up. You need, look, look hey, man. If, if you're gonna use them, you gotta split them up. They can't hit us all at once. I don't remember what label or what record company he signed to, but whoever are the execs on that, God help you if you let that pass and go to publishing. Yeah. God help you. That won't make it out of this. Like somebody got to put a stop to that. It's please. unreleased for a reason. And Come the on. worst part about it is that man played, he replayed that song. Like he, as he was playing, he's like, y'all want me to start it over? Not one. No, actually. Not two. Not, I'm pretty sure he played like four or five times that day. And it's like, dog, why? <laughs> not here for it. We're not here for it, sir. We're not freeing your homies in this like, game. I'm not even sure if the song slapped or not. I'm pretty sure it didn't. Because, like, as soon as I heard that, I was like, no, nah, I got to be out of here. Click. And <laughs> He's like, I, I was go. like, y'all let me know when we get back to jamming. <laughs> I'm not listening to this. Luda. Love me some Ludacris. Yeah. Chopping it up. Demo episode number two. Sterling Daniels. Reggie Atatula. Um, this was fun. This was fun. Um, was. We plan on doing this once a week. Uh, for the foreseeable future, uh, we all have, you know, other jobs and whatnot. So when we get together, it's because, you know, we're trying to get away from other things. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, we appreciate you all listening and I uh, hope you all enjoy. So um, till uh, next time, look, find you a good barber. Don't. Uh, oh, my gosh. See, th- that has to be for the video. That's old Kirk Franklin. I didn't know he used to look like that. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm glad he came on home because that hairline kind of teeter tottering, bro. <laughs> we're cutting that out, right? That's not making it to the to the podcast. That's actually how we're ending the podcast. That's how we're ending. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Chris. Arthur. All right, that's it.